My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Kenny Chapman is an award-winning professional speaker, author, and expert on leadership and change. He's an entrepreneur at heart, having built and led multiple successful companies, most recently the Blue Collar Success Group, which helps business leaders in the in-home services trade run industry-leading companies. Kenny is formerly a trained speaker and has toured with motivational guru Les Brown and has spoken internationally, sharing his uplifting and action-oriented message of professional and personal development. Well, good morning and welcome welcome to Mark Madison on Books and People. Today, I'm absolutely excited and privileged to have Kenny Chapman as our guest today. Good morning, Kenny. How are you? Morning, Mark. Doing amazing. How about yourself, brother? Uh, I'm on this side of the grass. Hey, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And where are you calling from? I am at my office in the Phoenix area today. I'm in Arizona. And how hot is it in Arizona today? We're all the way down in the low 100s now already. It's fall here, baby. <laughs> Ooh, chilly. Better get that coat. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm trying to remember, where did we meet and when? We met, I think the first time we met in person was probably, we had to fly halfway around the world, my friend. And we, we, <laughs> we both spoke at an event in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Remember that? I don't remember the year, but it was many moons ago, and um, and we were like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, I think, the twins. That we were like the twins in speaking. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, you uh, you got started in in plumbing and HVAC, right? I mean, Correct. was it plumbing first and then HVAC? Yeah, I started as a dead broke drain cleaner April 1st, which is April Fool's Day, 1994, by myself in a truck, no business, being in business. And then ended up in plumbing, ended up buying my way into HVAC. And yeah, that's been my, my path of the, of the past. What, what prompted you to go into that industry? Was it like, well, I guess they're hiring. I'll, I'll go over here. No, you know, I, I'd, I'd recently gotten out of the military. I was a punk kid that needed discipline. So I went in the United States Army, which was very, very good for me in the Army. There was a lot of things I loved. However, I didn't love time and grade promotion. So I became an entrepreneur while I was in the Army. I just didn't manifest it until I got out. I knew I had to do something where I got paid for my own uh, input and, and output and basically. And so my uncle was a mentor of mine and he had a realtor that he introduced me to. And I was 22 at the time and said, his name was Mark as well. And I said, Mark, bring me all the business listings you got. And he'd bring me what I call mom and pop donut shops, right? They make 20 grand a year and you work nonstop and this and that. And he brought me one one day and it was called Best Way Sewer Services. And I said, Mark, I know I told you to bring me everything, but dude, we got to draw the line. He said, just look at the numbers. Just look at the numbers. And it was a, a four truck business that had uh, some portable toilets and a pump truck. And it was netting a hundred grand a year in 1993. And I went a hundred grand was like a hundred million to me then. And right. Like, wow. Really? And, 
And so that I, I didn't have two nickels rubbed together, so I couldn't buy that business, but it, it stuck something in my mind and went, huh, maybe there's something in that old uh, millionaire next door mentality. And, and that was like what started it. And I ended up meeting a guy that, that ran a part-time kind of, I called it his walking around money, how to drain business. But if he wanted to go, he would, if he didn't, he didn't. And I worked him for about a year until he finally uh, sold me that business and gave me the keys to, to jump in and start my own path. Isn't that funny? You knew in the army that no matter how hard you worked, it wasn't going to accelerate the process. You weren't going to earn more. You weren't going to get promoted. It was just time and grade. I had the same experience in the, in the air force. It, it drove me crazy because if I had a good attitude and showed up early and stayed late, it didn't matter. Right. I started right. cutting hair in trade school when I was in the Air Force. I was the third floor barber. <laughs> and I was making about half again as much as I was in the Air Force was paying me at night cutting hair. And so isn't it funny, you know, you know who you are or who you aren't. It's even at what, 18, 19 years old? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. God, that's so funny. It, yeah. It, so the Army wasn't for you and the Air Force wasn't for me. There, there you go. Yeah. And, and yet so many good lessons that we get to bring forward from the, those experiences, right? So your uncle was one of the first mentors. Who else? Um, I had two uncles that were, that were really big for me um, and really kind of, you know, both of them. Actually, what's funny is they were both electricians by trade. Um, and then my father taught me a lot, but my father chose a different path. He was actually ended up as an outlaw biker. And um, so I learned a lot from a lot of different angles and, and different walks in life. Um, wait, 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 back up. You said your father was an outlaw biker? Yeah, he rode with a with a rival gang of the Hells Angels called the Axemen in San Diego County. And uh, so <laughs> we would we would come home from school and sometimes there'd be a new bike in the in the garage. And it was kind of a don't ask questions, but it might be the vice president of the Hells Angels bike that had just been stolen. And so it was a very interesting, uh, learned a lot about life in a lot of different ways, for sure. Now we know where the rebel in you comes from. There you go. I'm not a nonconformist, not by, not by Noah, for sure, my friend. Oh, man, that's just two things I didn't know about you at all. That's fascinating. <laughs> I also know that Les Brown was one of your mentors. He had a huge impact on your life. Les, Les was absolutely and still still is as he's, you know, in his, he's 70, like less 75 now as we speak, I believe. And he, he continues to, you know, live with passion. And I was able to do, um, you know, I, I got to speak with him a lot for a short period of time and on the road with him. And, and Les really, he taught me a lot about speaking, but he taught me as much about learning you know you know you you've had mentors just like that where even though as many times as you see him speak you can't wait for that story you can't wait for something yes. in the book right les brown the speaker of renown i <laughs> yeah i listened to his audio i read his books he, he was amazing his backstory of wanting to be a dj and right. preparing himself and you know that story of of how that day came and he crushed it because chance favored the prepared and he was ready Yes. You know, and then they fired the guy who called him sick. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's such a great story. And you're right. You know, you and I have been blessed to have speakers who, for whatever reason, Kenny, took us under their wing. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. said, come on, kid, let me show you how this works. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what, you know, they must have seen something in us. Did, did we remind them of them when they were younger? I don't know. I, I think so. You know, the, the bet, I, I remember the first time I was going to speak with Les, he sent, he, he came by the hotel and he was in a limo and, you know, I'm, I'm from small town America, you know, I had a very successful contracting company, but it was in a small town of a hundred thousand. And, and so I'm out in LA and he brings it comes by in the, in the, uh, in the limo and he's like I've never put anybody on the stage without seeing him speak tell me your story so I kind of shifted around to where I couldn't stand up but you know I'm pretty short Mark and so I could almost stand up so I just laid on my best 10 minutes of my story and what I'm about and he looked he sat back and 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 rest his soul Kobe Bryant Les said you're like the white Kobe Bryant of speaking and to this day it's the best best uh uh you know like accolade or a compliment that I've ever had from anybody in any way shape or form and we got to the event and he said you got 10 minutes and he let me get on stage before he had seen any video and all that kind of stuff and so I think they saw something in us Mark and we're both crazy enough to go after what we want in life right <laughs> yeah fearless you know have to be to do that that's right that's right well that's uh, you, you know I had a mentor Charlie Jones Charlie Tremendous Jones tell me if you can write another book like that you won't need to speak anymore and I, I said what he said, this is amazing. I want to publish it. And I didn't even know he was a publisher. That's how naive I was when I first started. Yeah. And of course, it's since sold 150,000 copies and it, it just keeps selling. I, what books had an impact on you? Man, there's, there's just so many. Obviously, some of the staples of how to win friends and influence people, um, you know, massive uh Rich Dad, Poor Dad really changed how I think as an investor in the follow-up book of the cash flow quadrant. Think and Grow Rich was a big one for me. And one of the biggest things I loved about any of Napoleon Hill's work was, you know, here's here's a book on thinking and growing rich. And now we've got all the secret stuff and the, you know, sit on the couch and manifest certain things. And, you know, there's all there's places for everything, but at the end of the day, you got to take action and right. you got to do stuff. And in that book, never one time does he actually say, think and you will become rich. <laughs> and so, so I, I, I love that. Some of the, you know, more, more recent books, um, The Slide Edge by Jeff Olson is a great book around, you know, you eat a salad today, you're not going to be thin and healthy. If you eat a cheeseburger or pizza, you're not going to be fat and unhealthy, but you do those things day in, day out. Repetition, as Tony Robbins said, the mother of all skill. I think yep. that's you know, some powerful stuff, really. But it's it's really about actions, right? When when we take books, books, as both of us authors and speakers, put it on paper, and then the alarming statistics, if you're listening to this, finish your books or pick up something you will take action with. People right. start them, and then they go to the next one. And, you know, just take action on some stuff. That's what it's all about. To quote Tony Robbins, massive continuous action. Absolutely. And, you know, Ernest Hemingway gave a great quote. He said, write as well as you can every day and finish what you start. Mm, how about that? That's and I had that on my desk for the first 10 years of writing. I just, I looked at that like a mantra. Because, uh -huh. you know, I had a year of junior college. Uh, I didn't finish the Air Force. I didn't finish college. I finished high school. But Freedom for Fear was the first thing that I finished. And 
Well, that's not true. I finished my apprenticeship. That was the first major, you know, four years as a local 32 pipe fitter. But uh, that was the beginning of, of, you know, finishing what you started. And you're absolutely right. The, the biggest challenge new writers have is they don't finish what they start. And then if, even if they do, they don't know where to go after that. What do I do now? Now I have this manuscript. Now what? Well, so what did you do with your first manuscript? How did, uh, how did that yeah, turn into the book? You know, and, and I, so, and, and just to piggyback that Mark for everybody listening, especially authors, as you're working through, remember Mark hadn't sold 150,000 copies when he was working through that process of, of dealing with himself every day going, maybe I'm not the guy that does, maybe I just don't finish what I start. Maybe I go on to the next thing. Maybe I'm not meant to be an author. I don't have college. All of the self doubt that you had to overcome. That was the magic of that book. Then it got to go on and change other people's lives. And so, you know, my, my first manuscript, the six dimensions of change, really was for that reason. Change is an acronym. It's for clarity, habit, action, never give up, gratitude, and enthusiasm. Mm. When you work those six dimensions into your daily habit, rituals, and being, the game changes forever. And so what's fascinating as we all talk here, as authors, future authors, um, you know, the, the cool thing is that I wrote that book in 2008, um, published it in 2009, heading into the recession. And I sent it to clients and I sold some copies and some different things. And I built workshops and I did coaching and all the different things from that book, but I never sold very many copies. And I've recently gone through some massive personal growth and some new levels for myself and decided I wanted to rewrite that book. And so I, I recently released re-released it as the six dimensions of change 2.0, literally a decade after I first wrote that book. And so hopefully if you're on the line and you're like, well, I wrote something or whatever. I mean, you know, a lot of people in the small business world talk about Michael Gerber and the e-myth is not the e-myth, not the one that blew up. The e-myth that blew up is the e-myth revisited. So sometimes it's a matter of mm. continuing to get back to your truth and, and continuing to, to honor what you're trying to do with your work. Cause ultimately that's it. Well, there's no the one hit wonders and there's a lot of 10 year overnight success type stuff in authoring and speaking. That's a great insight because <laughs> you, you did it, you released it, but it launched a whole series of other things around the book, the workshops, the keynotes, the talks, which in turn generated revenue, which in turn, and when you're st standing on that stage with a book in your hand, you have credibility. Yes, a hundred percent. Absolutely true. I don't know about you, but I only, I don't, I don't stand on the stage and talk about my book and, and try to sell it. I don't do that. I do one really simple thing. I say, can I have a volunteer? Well, first I say all of everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. I need a volunteer. And there's this long silence and you know, this, you got 500 <laughs> people in the audience and they're all looking at their shoes and one intrepid soul stands up, walks to the stage and the only thing I say is, look, I just want to give you this book for volunteering. Uh, you can go sit out, right? And you can literally see everybody going, oh, man, I wish I'd have volunteered. Exactly. But then there's a long line at the book counter because they know that I have a book. And I think that if you do a great job on the stage, you don't have to be a huckster, you know, trying to sell your book from the stage. It'll sell itself if you do a great job with your presentation. 
I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear you go there, Mark, and talk about that for everybody listening today. There's, you know, you, there's all these speaking courses and selling from stage courses, and I'm not here to undermine anybody or anything that's creating value for our industry or for people that, that are trying to get their message out there. But by the time you're working on value stack and takeaway selling from the stage and all that, you're there to impact people's lives. And if you've got paid to be there and then there's this whole speak for free and sell from stage, what Mark just shared with you means that he has confidence that he's delivered enough value in his time with his audience to make them want more. And no different than if you're, when you're writing a book, your goal of one paragraph or by sentence, we'll say the goal of that sentence is to get them to read the next sentence, period. Right. When you're on stage, you're looking for what's your call to action. It's to create a desire in them to want more of what you have. And when you do it the way that Mark just talked about, I mean, dude, that is, I got chills right now because I'm so over people going, oh, well, this is free. And then, well, for 20 grand, you can have this and my book comes with it or whatever. Right. right and right. You know, that's, that's really get Get out there and create a ton of value and the, the world will reward you for it. Yeah. It's platform skills and content and you know, one without the other isn't much help. Isn't that the truth? Love if it. you've got platform skills and you, you know, you have style and grace and inflection and hand gestures and all those things that's vital. But if you don't have the content, if the information you're sharing from the stage doesn't change people's lives, doesn't give them the tools they need to grow in their business or their personal life, then you failed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I heard a lot of bad speakers. I heard a lot of great speakers, but there's one person to please. That's the person who hired me after that. You know, I hope the audience loves what I do. Uh, I used to get a lot of standing ovations and I thought that was great. But the true test of the value is the standing invitations. Mm. That's somebody coming up and giving you their business card and saying, can you, what's your schedule look like in November? You know, I'd love to have you talk at our company's uh, annual meeting. And to me, that's the measure. The applause is nice. There's no question. The smile sheets are great, but it's the standing invitations that matter. And, and to me, that's also the line at the book counter, right? Selling your books. That's how you know. I spoke to 2,500 people once and there I signed books for four hours. There were hundreds of people in line. And the guy that spoke after me, his table was just down the way and there was no one at his table. Now I didn't hear his talk because I was busy signing books. But I remember looking at the expression on his face and he's like, hey, can you send some of those people over here? Like no one was buying his book. <laughs> and Kenny, I felt bad for the guy, but evidently he didn't have the platform skills or the content. Right. Well, and, and that's, you know, as we live in this world of, of immediate gratitude and social interaction, and it's all about likes and driving different things with social media, it's easy to get away from that. And, you know, back to, to Les for a moment, probably one of the most powerful things Les ever said to me is he said, never take advice from untrained eyes and ears that are not willing to write you a check. Now, let that land, everybody. You never take advice from untrained eyes and ears that aren't willing to write you a check. If Mark and I are in the audience and we're going to watch you speak, we've got trained eyes and ears, so we might be able to help give you a few tips here and there. Now, what's that mean? When you write a book and you give it to your family, 
they're going to tell you it's great. Or if they got a little jam up with you, they're going to tell you it's not so great. But it, either way, it doesn't matter because the people that are willing to write the check is what really matters. And that's what you're talking about. When, when you come off the stage and they're like, we want to book you again, that's what the people are doing at the book counter. And so, so many speakers have lost sight of that. And they write a book just for a business card and it can hurt them a little bit in, in the back side of that. Like, you know, most of us could write, write a good, a good book based on a keynote, literally, you know, there, but at the end of the day, 500 pages, novels and different things, you know, I mean, it, it do, it's not about long form content anymore. Um, it's, it's really, you know, and the publishing world has changed so much. So, um, you know, I, I just think that, be be honor honor why you're doing it too you know you've had a very long phenomenal sustainable career mark and that's because every time you go to write a book and you've written so many and you've done so many talks and been on so many stages but you're coming from the right place when you hear a speaker say the, the applause is nice of course well all of us have a little bit of ego it's not i'd rather get a clap than a boo but at the end of the day <laughs> that's not really why i'm there i'm there to touch that one person that i made eye contact when i got to that side of the stage used a hand gesture and made eye contact here as i shift right so th those are the things that man I, this is so valuable for for your following mark really awesome so when i wrote freedom for fear I, I had a simple formula I was going to write three pages or an hour, whichever came first. And I was going to do it until the book was done. And when I got done telling the story, it was only 95 pages. And I felt a little guilty that the story was so short, but that turned out to be a blessing because Ogmandino said, you know, uh, taught the world that men don't read books over 120 pages. Mm -hmm. So what's your process for writing? So for me, it's, it's 200, no more than 200 words a day. Okay. And um, I believe largely, well, strongly, I should say, in the vomit draft concept, which is hard for me as a speaker, as a business person, vomit draft, meaning when I write the first draft, I do not edit, I don't tweak, I don't change. Yes. So I write 200 words a day, but it might mainly be garbage, but I'm getting it out of my head. And so yes. we're where we get jammed, right? Let's be clear, writing and editing, very different skill sets. And most authors never get to press because editing, editing's painful. It just is like, that's it's so hard. Like you said you, you got a, a year of junior college. I've got you there. Cause I've only got one semester, but uh, that's exactly, I, I'm not a, I'm, you know, that's why we partner with, with great people like our buddy Jason and, and people out there that can help us turn that into wisdom. But if I get stuck in sentence structure or whatever, that's going to block my creativity. I'm an author yes. and a speaker for my creativity. I try to vomit that on paper and then get people smarter than me to help it make sense in a better way. If all I had to do is write a first draft, I could write a book a month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. But what I learned was I had to do three edits on the first one, five on the second, seven on the third, nine on the fourth and 10 on the fifth. Right. <laughs> and every, every book I did more edits and you're right. It's hard. It sucks. It's that's the, that's the part that holds people back. They go, well, it's the editing. Stephen King said, good writing is rewriting. And that's really what you're saying. Absolutely. The hard part, the heavy lifting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's such good advice. Well, that was my next question. What advice would you have 
uh, to authors. You just got done. Anything else you would suggest to authors? I would say to make sure that, you know, kind of, you know, there, there's all the concept of begin with the end in mind and some of that. I, I was recently talking to an author and I, I was like, why are you writing the book? And, and, and he said, I want to, I want to write a bestseller. And I, and I said, why, why do you want to write a bestseller? And he couldn't answer that question. And, and what's challenging is that you got to know why you're doing. And that's why, you know, I said that probably the best accomplishment that, that Mark has had from writing freedom and fear is the person that he became in that process. And, and as he learned forward. So as you're writing a book, make sure to start with a framework of an outline of what you're looking for. And, you know, some of the old kind of adages, people don't, don't care how much, you know, and you know, some of, some of that stuff. Remember it's, yeah, you want to be an author. You're a different person. You've accomplished something, some of those types of things, but people don't know who you are and they really don't care. They want to know what can this mean for me when people hear, man, your father was an outlaw biker and you've got, you know, you've created different companies and written three books and had different things in your life. And like, they don't care about that. What they care is like, what is that? Well, if, uh, if an ignorant guy like you that had some brushes with the law can create some random success in life, then maybe I can too. And that's all they care about. They don't care about Kenny Chapman and I'm hundred percent okay with that. Right. But what, what we want to do as authors is put a dent in the universe. As Steve yes. Jobs said, we want to make a difference in people's lives. And I think fundamentally we're coaches and teachers. And I think if you're coming from that place, if your spirit of intent is right, yes, right. Then the, the, the success follows, but you also have to be willing to, and this is the part that a lot of writers don't get. You have to be willing to market it. I spoke to a a writer's group here in Edmonds and I got there early and they wanted me to speak for an hour. And so I got there early and I listened to some people reading their writing and this is men and women of all different ages and stages in their career. And, and these people were smart and they had some great stuff. And when it was my turn to talk, I said, look, all of you are better writers than I am to the man and to the woman you are but I'm 10 times the marketer you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the challenge. If you're not, if you can't commit to sales and marketing, you're never going to sell more than a few thousand copies of your book. And as, as a speaker, you have the unique ability to sell from the stage. It's a wonderful platform. It really is. Absolutely. Right. So you, is your market, I mean, based on that title and I I listened to your audio and I read your book, uh, so your, your audience is bigger than just contractors. I mean, you started out as a contractor and the logical audience for you would be other contractors, but your message goes beyond that. Yes, correct. Yeah. Now, now I'm, I'm really crossing over into or, or have been, you know, from, from my time with Les, as, as we know, you know, and again, to your point of marketing though, to that point, to everybody out there, one of the hardest things as an author is you think that everybody can benefit from your work, which is probably true. But for my path, I wrote The Six Dimensions of Change in 2009 and then launched the Blue Collar Success Group in 2010 to basically bring that message into the contracting space where I did have a name, did have a platform, could get on stages. Now we fast forward a decade later, I'm beyond just that space. Yes, we still do a lot of work in the contracting space, but we're able to, you know, podcast is called leadership in a nutshell. And now we're just doing snippets of leadership of 
all industries and how we lead people and influence families and different things. And so, you know, you, you got to start. People look at Tim Ferriss who wrote the four hour work week and go, wow, look at that. You know, he blew up. No, he started with a small snippet where he was followed in the, in the uh, IT space and then kind of went from there. But we're so, you know, it's so hard for people to niche down when really the deeper you go with your niche, the wider you can go with your influence. It's only a quarter inch wide, but it's four miles deep. A hundred percent, my friend. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. What, what are you doing? What's your COVID cure? I mean, COVID's changed everything, obviously. And, and uh, I'm doing a lot more webinars and, and doing a lot more coaching now. How have you shifted gears during this time? Yeah, I think I think if you're um, there's two things. One, I've, I've been virtual um, for a long time. I mean, I, there's nothing better than live inter, live events and different things. But I have done a lot of virtual training, coaching, keynoting, and webinars for for quite some time. So we've just gone deeper into that space. But at the time we're recording this, I'm starting a three day event that I'm doing for someone else tomorrow that, you know, I should be on an airplane to St. Louis right now, but instead, because of this, I was able to shift and resell the product and the program to go, okay, when people go, well, let's cancel it. Go, no, well, wait a minute. Let's not just jump in and cancel. Does the audience still need it? Do you're following like, so everybody still needs the information that all of us used to get on stages for. Right. So now we just have to go, wait a minute, how do we get there? How do we benefit them? Don't catch yourself being, you know, like the trains back in the day in the, in the train business when airplanes came out, be in the transportation business. So if you're in the life-changing uh, behavior influencing industry, all that's happened is we've needed to make a shift. And to, to your point, Mark, let's be super clear for everybody on the line, platform skills translate differently for virtual skills. I've seen some really good live speakers that suck on camera. And right. so, so be very cautious as you're building that virtual stuff. There's gonna be a whole new game here that's happening already for people that can really move an audience virtually. And, and you get on some of these bigger events that are happening now and they've got you know tons of different speakers and you watch them and some of them are snooze fest and you, you show up and go, man, I, I thought this person wrote a great book or has this following. If you're not working on your virtual presentation skills right now, you're doing yourself and your followers a disservice, in my opinion. That's a great insight. Yeah, because I've had to teach myself the, the fundamental differences between you know, a Zoom webinar and me being on a stage. I mean, the biggest challenge is how many of you buy a show of hands? It's like, well, not everybody... Yeah. Not everybody has their video on. I mean, so the, there's just a host of little nuances that you have to shift. But I, I found the same thing. I'm just reaching out to existing clients and saying, hey, I'm doing these webinars now. I have nine different topics. Uh, which one makes the most sense? And, you know, it's, it's economical for them. The good news is the platform skills are there. The bad news is it's what Marshall McLuhan said. The medium is the message. So yeah. you have to uh, adjust to the medium. Mm. And uh, what I noticed was people are really self-conscious. Like level one is they're looking at their, their video image and going, oh, and the women are playing with their hair and guys are like fixing their collar like Rodney Dangerfield. Right? <laughs> and they're like self-absorbed in their own image. And then the second level is like, oh, they start saying, well, how does this thing work? And what does chat mean? And what are participants? And 
right? We're all learning. The music's playing, and yeah. we're writing the lyrics as fast as we can. Absolutely. So before we run out of time, I want to make sure that I, I ask the important question. How does somebody get one of your books or contact you? Yeah, just go to KennyChapman.com. It's just my name, KennyChapman.com, and everything is right there. We've got some free goodies for you and everything. Would, lo would love to hear from you. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Leadership in a Nutshell. It's there on the site as well. And, um, yeah, just super, super always great to hang with you, Mark. Super honored to be here with you. And, and continue listening, everybody. Mark does, as you know, phenomenal work, just full of value. Make sure you keep on um, you know, following what Mark's doing and staying on his list and paying attention to everything he's got going on. It's a great asset for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Now, are you selling Harleys and leather jackets as well or not? <laughs> That's right. I might have to be in the, in the next store. I'll, I'll get with Ashley, my IT specialist, and see what we can do next time. <laughs> Dad's store, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, man. So parting thoughts, my friend, what advice would you offer somebody who wants to write a book or speak or both? You, you already know, and, and you have it in you right now. If you're on listening right now, you're here for a reason, and you know that you've got a story to tell, and it's not about if you're the right person or if it's the right time. Honor your truth, and really, you know, one of the greatest things I've ever heard, I'll leave you all with this, is when, when they asked Michelangelo that, you know, created the, the amazing David statue. And they said, man, how did you do that? It's so incredible. And he said, really, it was quite simple. All I did is just remove everything that wasn't David. Yeah. And that's what we need to do as authors and speakers and coaches and all of those types of things. Take that two-ton block of marble and start chipping away. That's it, baby. Love it. Oh, man. Kenny, thank you so much for making the time. I know there was tremendous value today for our listeners. And uh, if, a, if a guy who got in trouble in the Army and a guy who got in trouble in the Air Force can do it, so can they, right? Absolutely, my friend. Thank you so much, Mark. Appreciate you, brother. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day, unless you have other plans. <laughs>